Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In January of 1980, Helene Prasinski disappeared while walking home from the bus stop. The next morning, she was found dead in an empty field. And for 40 years, detectives never gave up on finding out who was responsible for her murder. This is Monsters. On January 16, 1980, 21-year-old Helene Prasinski left the Denver radio station where she was working as an intern and walked to the bus stop. As a senior in college, the internship was exciting for Helene, and she really wanted to make a good impression. Since she was a young girl, Helene had dreamed of being a journalist, and she hoped that the internship would give her a good start in the industry. She'd only been living in Colorado for a few weeks, staying with her aunt and uncle while she got settled into the new city. The bus stop was close to the radio station, but Helene had to walk six blocks from the stop back to her aunt and uncle's house. She caught the bus home that night, but she never made it back home after that. There was no sign of her. It was as if she'd simply vanished into thin air within the six blocks between the bus stop and her house. Her aunt and uncle waited for her to come home, at first thinking she'd just decided to stay a little late that night. Kitsy Snow, a friend of Helene's who was also staying at the house, grew increasingly anxious after the group called Helene's boss, who confirmed that she'd left on time at 6pm. As more time passed with no sign of their niece, they became more and more worried and at 10.30pm they called the police to report Helene missing. That night, Kitsy wrote in her journal dated January 16th. The entry began, quote, This has been the longest and worst day of my life. I am writing because I don't know what else to do. We waited for Helene to come home and waited and now it's 11 p.m. and no Helene. No call, no nothing. The following morning at around 9 a.m., a woman was driving through northern Douglas County along Daniels Park Road when her 13-year-old child pointed out the window and said, quote, There's a body out there. The woman looked where he was pointing, an empty field where she could see something lying in the grass. She didn't get a close look, but fearing that her son was right, she approached a road grader who was working nearby and asked him to take a look. The road grader walked into the field where he discovered a dead body laying out in the open. It was a young woman who was completely naked and covered in blood. From the way that her body was left, it was clear that this was no accidental death. 
Her arms had been bound behind her back, tied tightly with straps of nylon. Whoever had killed her had made no effort to conceal the body. It was clearly visible to anybody driving along that stretch of road. The road grader called the police, who rushed to the scene. Coincidentally, one of the deputies also worked part-time for KHOW, the same radio station that Helene had been interning at. After looking at the body, the deputy was able to identify the dead woman as his co-worker Helene. Helene's autopsy revealed that she had been killed by several deep stab wounds which she'd received while she was defenseless, with her hands bound behind her back. Before her death, she had been sexually assaulted and samples of the killer's semen were collected. The killer had been careless about leaving Helene's body in the open and he'd also been careless about leaving evidence behind at the scene. It had been a cold night and the thick layer of snow on the ground had preserved detailed imprints of the killer's shoes. From the shape of the sole and the deep imprint of the heel, it appeared as if he had been wearing cowboy boots. There was also a set of tire tracks nearby which appeared to be from the killer driving into the field to dump Helene's body. The investigators took pictures and plaster castings of the prints and tracks and collected pieces of junk that the killer may have left behind. An empty carton of milk, a can, and a piece of bread. As snow began to fall in the field where the body of young Helen Pasinski was found, obliterating any clues, authorities called off their search of the area. Douglas County Sheriff's officers and investigators from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, aided by volunteers from the Arapahoe County Search and Rescue Unit, spent much of the morning combing the area, hoping to turn up something to lead them to the girl's murderer, but found nothing. Ms. Puskinski's body was found early Thursday. She'd been sexually assaulted and stabbed. A college student working as an intern in the news department at KHOW Radio, she was last seen Wednesday afternoon when she left work. Inglewood police, also in on the case, have been concentrating their efforts near this bus stop on South Broadway. It's believed that Ms. Pusinski got off her bus after work here Wednesday night. She was abducted sometime after that. They've been talking with people in the area looking for some clue, but so far nothing. And they're afraid if they don't find something soon, they may not find anything at all. There was only one potential witness to the crime. A woman had seen a vehicle close to the site where Helene's body was found. The woman provided a description of a man she'd seen near the vehicle, allowing investigators to create a composite sketch. Nobody came forward with any credible information about the suspect, and the composite sketch wasn't able to be matched to anybody in the area. Back in Helene's home state of Massachusetts, her parents and siblings were devastated by the news. Her older sister Janet had recently given birth to her first child, a little boy. She and her family focused on getting through the tragedy for her baby's sake, trying to make sure that he had a stable environment to grow up in. Janet later told reporters, quote, I think that just gave us a focus, you know. I think that, without that, our life would have been in shambles. But that emptiness in our hearts stayed forever. Helene's friends were also deeply affected by her death. One high school friend, Kimberly Obremsky, described Helene as such a piece of heaven, saying, quote, she was such an all-American, intelligent, caring individual. That's what makes it even harder. She had her whole life ahead of her. For the next four decades, Colorado investigators didn't get any leads in the case. As Helene's family got older, they were left wondering what had happened in their daughter, sister, and niece's final hours, while knowing that the killer had managed to get away. By 2019, Helene's parents and brother Chet had passed away. Only one of her family members was still alive, her big sister, Janet Johnson, who was now 70 years old. 
On December 12, 2019, Janet received a call from an unknown number. The caller was a prosecutor working on Helene's case, and he let her know that finally there had been a breakthrough. Advancements in forensic technology and genetic sequencing allowed the killer's DNA to be matched to their relatives, and now they believe that they had found the killer. At the time Helene's body was discovered, detectives had collected samples of semen that were found in her genital area. Back in the early 1980s, DNA profiling hadn't become a key part of forensic investigations, which mostly relied on fingerprints, blood types, and other physical evidence. The first DNA fingerprint was used in a crime case in 1986, six years after Helene's murder. But even though police had gained the ability to create a DNA profile for killers in the 1980s, they had no way of discovering who that person was unless they already had the killer's DNA in their database. In 1998, Colorado investigators had run the killer's DNA profile against the FBI's DNA database, but there wasn't a match. It seemed as if the killer, whoever he was, had never been caught, even for more petty crimes. It was frustrating. The detectives had the killer's DNA, which contained all the genetic information that made him who he was, but they had no idea what his name was, where he lived, or what he looked like. By 2019, things were different. Detectives and genealogy experts had used the sample of semen to create a DNA profile of Helene's killer. Then, they had painstakingly created a family tree of potential suspects in the murder. To gain more information about the DNA profiles of the suspects, they were able to use popular genetics websites such as Ancestry.com. A significant amount of time and resources went into the case, more than 20 detectives working together with Metro Denver Crime Stoppers. Federal, state, and local law enforcement were all collaborating together. The case might have gone cold decades ago, but the detectives were convinced that they could make progress. One of their many potential suspects was 62-year-old truck driver James Curtis Clanton, who was currently living in Lake Butler, Florida. It turned out that James had a significant criminal record. He had served jail time in Arkansas after being convicted of sexual assault, and he'd also been arrested in Florida due to domestic violence. Unfortunately, he had never had a DNA sample taken during those arrests. Around the time of the murder, James had looked similar to the composite sketch of the suspect. Despite living in Florida for most of his life, James had worked for a Colorado landscaping company when he was younger, and it was during that time that Helene was abducted, raped, and murdered. Not only had James Clanton arrived in Denver the same day Helene went missing, but two years after she died, he legally changed his name from his birth name, Curtis Allen White, to the name he was currently going by, James Curtis Clanton. James had ended up moving to the area right after he served four years in prison for rape. When he was paroled, he arranged to live with one of his former counselors who lived in Denver. On the day that James arrived in Denver, Helene had never made it home. It might have been a coincidence, and there were several other suspects who had lived in the area at the time. But the timing was uncanny enough that law enforcement were determined to locate a sample of James's DNA. Several investigators tracked James, trying to get a sample of his DNA. They had no probable cause for his involvement in the case, just that he had lived in the area at the time and he fit the profile of the killer. It meant that they couldn't get a search warrant for his home, so instead they needed to try to collect a DNA sample from an item that he left in a public place. Their first attempt at getting a sample was from a milk carton that he'd thrown out, but there wasn't enough of his DNA left on the carton. 
The detectives continued to track James, following him when he went to a nearby bar for a drink. After he finished his drink and left, they collected the empty beer mug he'd been drinking out of. This time, there was enough of James's saliva to create a DNA profile, and the DNA was an exact match to the profile of Helene's murderer. On Monday, December 16, 2019, the Douglas County Sheriff made an announcement about the case. James Clanton had been arrested for Helene's murder. The sheriff, Tony G. Spurlock, described the arrest as, quote, kind of one of those bittersweet moments. It provided justice for Helene and closure for her family, but most of her loved ones had passed away several years before. Sheriff Spurlock said, quote, This was a young girl who was just starting her life. She wanted to be in journalism. During the news conference, District Attorney George Braunschler made a statement about the complex investigation that had gone on behind the scenes. He said, quote, there's DNA, and that's a big part of this case. But don't misunderstand that it's like, hey, we just entered DNA into some voodoo database and out popped this guy. Helene's sister, Janet, gave an interview about the case, saying she had thought about Helene every day for the past four decades and never gave up hope that her killer would be brought to justice. She said, quote, I want people to know what a special person Helene was. She was my best friend, and she had a bright future ahead of her. The detectives and everyone else who helped make this day happen are my heroes. While in police custody, James was quick to confess to the murder. He'd gotten away with it for almost 40 years, but now it seemed like he knew that there was no way to escape. He didn't just admit to kidnapping, raping, and murdering Helene. He also gave investigators extra details about the crime, telling them that he'd repeatedly promised to let Helene go, which she'd believed. He had never intended to keep the promise, and eventually, he stabbed Helene nine times. And then, when you stabbed her in the field and left her there, did you pose her body at all? Did you, like, lay her the way she, she was laying, or did you, no. like, okay, so you just stabbed her and walked away? Yes. Okay. Did, uh, and you said she didn't, she never cried, she was nice to you the whole time? Yes. Uh, when you stabbed her, did she ask you why, or did she just... I don't think she expected me to, because I told her to get down on her knees. And then I told her, I said, don't get up until you know I'm gone. And that's when everything else went a totally different way. Okay. And uh, now you just said that you don't, you, you think you threw the knife in the field, but you're not sure. I wouldn't swear to. Okay. Do you have any idea where the knife could be if you did not throw it in the field? Could it be in your trailer still? Could it be in No, your... it ain't up here. Okay, it ain't There's nothing up here from that time. Okay. Although James had been honest with police about murdering Helene, his confession didn't lessen the cruel, violent nature of the crime. If he had confessed shortly after murdering her, it might have resulted in a reduced sentence or a plea deal. But after 40 years, James had lived a normal life, telling nobody that he had once brutally murdered a girl in an opportunistic attack. James couldn't be charged with Helene's sexual assault because Colorado's statute of limitations for unlawful sexual conduct or sexual assault was only five years. However, there was no statute of limitations for kidnapping or murder, so James faced charges of second-degree kidnapping and first-degree murder. On February 21, 2020, James Curtis Clanton pleaded guilty to first-degree murder after deliberation, a Class I felony. His sentencing took place on July 1st, with almost 100 people taking part in the sentencing hearing. Janet Johnson was the first one to speak. 
she gave an emotional five-minute-long statement about the impact that her sister's death had had on her life, both at the time in 1980 and continuing to the present day. Before beginning her statement, Janet acknowledged the reason why she was the only member of Helene's family able to speak at the hearing. Her brother and parents had passed away and would never know that Helene's killer had been brought to justice. Janet fought back tears as she said, quote, Oh, how they wished, hoped, and dreamed of this day. A day of reckoning, an arrest, a conviction, justice. I will try my best to speak for all of us. Janet described how much her family had cherished Helene, the youngest child. Her older brother Chet had been 12 years old when Helene was born and Janet had been 9. She said, quote, Helene was the baby of my family. She was the sunshine of our family. I cannot find the words to express our anguish. Every fiber of our family unit was destroyed and we would never be the same. Janet described the way that she cried herself to sleep every night after Helene was killed, and the immense sadness that she felt when she thought about how the crime had affected her parents. She and her parents had always believed that Helene's life was destined for great things, and then her life had suddenly ended at the hands of a stranger. She said, quote, Our world was shattered when we received that phone call 40 years ago. It was as if someone had reached in and torn our hearts out. I cannot find the words to accurately express the pain and anguish and heartache that my family experienced that day and every day since. In court, Janet refused to look in James's direction, saying, quote, I don't want to hear a word or see him because I have not been able to hear from my sister in 40 years, so I have no desire to hear what he has to say or see what he looks like. James chose not to speak at all during the hearing. Instead, he had his attorney share an apology with Helene's family and friends. During the apology, his attorney told the court that James had begun to feel remorse after Helene's death only after he had a child of his own, because it caused him to imagine the suffering he'd caused for Helene's family. Several of Helene's high school and college friends attended the sentencing hearing, telling stories about their relationship with Helene and the distress that had been caused by her death. Kitsy Snow, the friend who had been staying at Helene's aunt and uncle's house that night, read several of her own journal entries out loud detailing the trauma of Helene's disappearance and the discovery of her body. Another friend told the court, quote, When you were in the company of Helene, you knew that the world was good. That was taken away from all of us by this man's despicable acts. Judge Teresa Slade sentenced James to life in prison, but because of the laws at the time Helene was murdered, he would become eligible for parole at the age of 83, after spending 20 years in prison. Judge Slade said during the hearing, addressing James directly, quote, This was a very long-lived case, but short-lived in the courts. It took 40 years to get to this place. You have had the benefit of a life and a family, things you took away from Helene. Fortunately, having the possibility of parole doesn't guarantee James will get it, and hopefully this monster will die in prison. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help.
If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.